You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl. You will not believe this statistic in regards to the Eagles and the Chiefs about how evenly matched these two teams are after 19 games that they've both played this season. It's pretty crazy. Tom Brady talks about his broadcasting career. We've got some ratings for you from the Pro Bowl. How did it do compared to the last few seasons? I got some more thoughts on Kyrie Irving and Dallas. The Mavericks spoke out about it. Didn't like some of the quotes that they gave. Steph Curry has an injury, and I don't even know what it is, and most people don't know what it is either. And we have a new yet another innovation. I'm going to talk golf again and talk about what they did this past weekend. And we will get to that momentarily. So let's get started. We're getting closer. Five days away from the Super Bowl. Eagles and Chiefs. And both of these teams, as we know, the number one seeds in their division, respectively. And if you look at the statistics over the 19 games for each, this is fairly crazy. Some Just some ironic things here. The Chiefs and the Eagles this year both had a 16-3 overall record. Both have scored exactly 546 points through 19 games. Both have six All-Pros on their team, including a Kelsey brother and their quarterback. And they are both the number one seed in each conference. Pretty good. 16-3. and Exactly the same amount of points. Exactly the same amount of All-Pros. Look, as I told you, coming up in this game, obviously I want the Eagles to win, but this is a coin flip. I have no freaking clue who's going to win this game. And you can't... Obviously, if you're an Eagles fan, you think they're going to win. If you're a Chiefs fan, you're like, no way. The Chiefs are going to win. We've got Patrick Mahomes. You know, it's like just like any debate. Nobody knows who's going to win these games. But it is really interesting because I'm talking about a Super Bowl that the last few years, we haven't had a giant line on the Super Bowl. Last few years, the lines have been pretty close, three, four points. This is still sitting at Eagles minus one and a half, which means the line pretty much isn't going to come into play. And what was the stat that I gave you? 46, 7, and 3 the winning team in the Super Bowl versus the spread. So basically all you got to do is pick the winner. And with a line at one and a half this season, I mean, it's like that's the only way the line can come into play is if the Eagles win the game by one point. That's it. So I don't – I obviously want the Eagles to win, but these teams are so evenly matched. It's really, really tough to say that somebody has a decided edge over another one on either side of the ball. They they really don't. Who has a decided edge? Patrick Mahomes, because he's the leading passer in the NFL this year? Maybe. But he's going up against one of the best defenses he's seen this year. The Philadelphia Eagles running game? That's probably the one advantage that one unit has over the other in this game is the Eagles' run game against the Kansas City run defense. Kansas City run defense is not great. The Eagles have one of the better secondaries in the football. So I I, I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm excited for it. I know Philly fans are excited for it. They're ready to uh, grease up the poles in downtown Philly and fall off them and crack their skulls open. But, hey, they love their team, and – you show you love your team 
by doing shit like that. The other thing is, in regards to this game, I talked about it earlier this week, was the fact that we know that Fox has the broadcast, which means Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are calling the game, and we all know that Tom Brady retired, and he is set to work for Fox. He signed a 10-year, $375 million deal last year when he retired the first time to go into broadcasting when he was done. He was on the Colin, Cow- the Colin Coward radio show yesterday and gave us an update. He said he's not starting his broadcasting career until fall of 2024. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be on Sunday's broadcast as part of the pregame show, because as we know, these networks have five, six-hour pregame shows on Super Bowl Sunday. I got to believe you're going to get, you're going to want Tom Brady in there for a segment or two, just to introduce them to, to him, to the Fox family, get in there, give some of his opinions on the game. It's not like he has to break it down and get all technical or whatever, but he's going to be the face of Fox. However, we didn't know this until yesterday when he said it on the radio interview. He's not coming in until 2024. Everyone just assumed he was coming in next year. He said fall of 2024. So we get Burkhart and Olsen for another full year on Fox, which I love. And, man, I'm telling you something weird is going on because Kevin Burkhart did an interview with somebody, I think uh, with CNNSI, and basically said, I haven't thought about Tom Brady for 10 fucking seconds. I think he's getting sick of answering the question. But for a guy that's supposed to be Kevin Burkhardt's partner when he decides to go into broadcasting, which we now know to be 2024, I'm shocked that Kevin Burkhardt, who literally is one of the nicest guys in the industry, is saying, like, I haven't thought about that guy for 10 fucking seconds. You know, you, you would think he would just say, yeah, I know, we're, 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 all aware. we're well aware, but I don't know. Something tells me it's going to be a three-man booth or something's going to get mixed up or Brady's not going to fulfill that whole contract. I don't know, but everyone is loving Burkhart and Olsen right now. There's a great article on Greg Olson on the ringer.com. If you want to go check that out by Brian Curtis, he does a great job covering media and announcers and just talked about Greg Olson from the beginning of this year, how much he's improved, not only how much he's improved, but it tells you why he's improved. And he gives you a rundown of exactly a play that he called in the preseason what he said during that play, and they have the transcript of it, and you're just like, whoa, you need to edit this down because the biggest thing a broadcaster has to do, especially an analyst in a football game, where you've only got 10 to 15 seconds between each play, is brevity. You have to get a lot of information out in a short period of time, and that is not easy to do. That's why some of these athletes have failed when they've gone into broadcasting. They just think, oh, I'll just talk, and no. Yeah, you have to talk, but you have to talk, you have to be insightful, you have to provide clarity, and you've got a 10 to 15 second window to do it. You have to talk in short sound bites, and most people can't do that, or it takes a lot, a lot of practice. And great article on The Ringer if you want to go check it out about Greg Olson and how he's improved as a broadcaster this year. I love that stuff. Maybe some of you don't give a shit. But I love reading stuff like that, and I love uh, the more – I mean, you've heard me for the last two weeks. I absolutely love Greg Olson, and – as a broadcaster and I'll, I'll soak up any story on him and just his process and how he goes through things and how he's improved and whatnot. The pro bowl, as we know, happened on Sunday. And you know, the, one of the things that we had talked about was, I wonder how this did. did it resonate with the fans. Well, it seems like it did. 
This was the highest Pro Bowl ratings they had in four years. Uh, it earned a 5.3 rating and 8.6 million viewers across ESPN uh, and ABC. That's up 26% in the ratings and 14% in the viewership from last year when it was on ESPN alone. Last year it would drew a 4.2 and 7.6 million viewers. Um, figures include TV and streaming um, viewership. It peaked at uh, 5 to 5.30 Eastern time when it got a 6.1 and 10.1 million viewers. So that's good. Ranks as the highest rated Pro Bowl since 2014, which drew a 6.6, and the most watched since 2015, which had 8.8 million. So it was the first Pro Bowl to post an increase over the previous year since 2011. So, And if you watched it, yes, the, the, the best catch competition was kind of hokey, and the, the point system was a little confusing. The game wasn't, you know, the most riveting game they certainly tried but you know they're dressed in bucket hats and hat backwards and sunglasses on and whatnot that didn't that didn't really take away from the game but as i said yesterday it's not like they were playing press coverage and man-to-man all over the field they were literally just laying back and letting the ball be caught in front of them and then we just pull the flag and it's like okay can we but as the game got close to the end is when they seemed to try a little bit harder which i guess is the case uh, for how the old Pro Bowl was and is the case for the NBA, you know, all-star game, which we'll see in a couple weeks. So I don't know. I liked it. I just think it was way more entertaining. The players seem to be having a blast. And I think it's just more fun when you see the players being able to, you know, not the other thing is, and this is kind of a big deal and you don't really think about stuff like this, but the NFL, obviously, as we know, these guys play with helmets on. They're not the most recognizable people because when we watch football, we see them with helmets on. Yes, they take them off on the sidelines, and yes, you can probably pick out a lot of the the main guys, but it's cool to watch them without any pads and without any helmet on whatsoever. You know, you just you see them in a different light, and um, I enjoyed it, and I'm glad they went this route. I, I think this is the way it's going to be from now on. It's just a matter of is it going to be in Vegas every year, or are they going to do the same thing but say, like, hey, we're going to Tennessee next year, or hey, we're going to Jacksonville, or hey, we're going to do this in Atlanta. I don't know. It seems like this is something where you can make um, do it in Vegas because the players will be very excited. Speaking of one player, backup running back for the Rams, Ronnie Rivers, a rookie running back out of uh, Fresno State University. Did you see what happened to him? Playing poker on, I think, Saturday night, three-card poker, and he won the bonus of $515,000. Crazy. I don't play three-card poker. I don't even really understand it. I just know that he won 515000 on playing the game. Uh, I think he ended up getting a, a Royal Flush, which is just damn near impossible. But congratulations to Ronnie Rivers. So as you know, yesterday I talked about the Dallas Mavericks signing of Kyrie Irving. The trade was completed yesterday. It is now official. Kyrie is going to join the team tomorrow in L.A. They play the Clippers I think he's going to play. It is possible Luka's going to play. He's missed the last two games with a heel injury. But I listened to the press conference yesterday, some of the quotes coming out by the team. It's just like, look, I get it. Everyone's going to say the right things the second you sign somebody. They're not going to be like, you know what? We're taking a giant risk here signing Kyrie Irving because we don't know what the hell this guy is capable of doing. Which is literally, that's reality. But you, you listen to the quotes by Jason Kidd. He said, you look at his journey at other stops, he's won where he's gone. Okay, <laughs> yes, he has, but he's also literally burned every bridge where he's gone. And you're just, like, forgetting that. Even later on, kids said in the press conference, 
It's easy to look at all of the negative, but let's look at the positive of what he's done on and off the court. That's the way we're approaching it. I mean, yes, it's kind of the way you have to approach it because you can't stand up in the first press conference after trading away for a player that you think is going to help your team get to the Western Conference Finals or even the NBA Finals and say, like, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do with this guy. This guy is a total head case. I never know when he's bought into a system or not. But this guy was just in Brooklyn with literally one of the three best players in the NBA in Kevin Durant, and he couldn't make that work. Why all of a sudden are we just supposed to believe he's going to make this work? And as I told you yesterday, I'm going to reiterate it again today. This guy has nothing to gain by being bad for the next four months of the season. I have a feeling he's going to dupe the Mavericks in. He's going to be on his best behavior these last four months because he wants a contract. He wants a four-year max deal. And if things go well for Kyrie, while I will appreciate it as a Mavericks fan and I'll like it, it's going to suck because I'm telling you, remember this podcast, if he goes well for these last four months and the Mavericks make a run and Kyrie is a model citizen and he's putting up 30 a game and him and Luka are just killing teams and they give him a four-year deal in the offseason, there is zero chance that Kyrie Irving plays out those four years in Dallas. No effing way. And I know it's coming. But is he worth the short-term headache? He might be. I I, I don't know. I I, got to see how he settles in. But if he can't be on good behavior for four months when he's got a contract at stake, then he's just a lost cause. But... This this sentiment that the Mavericks were throwing out there yesterday at the press conference, he's all about basketball. He wants to win, and he wants to be coached. And this is a great opportunity for me to have someone like this to help. It's just like he wants to win, and he wants to be coached. The guy is literally one of the most selfish players in the history of the NBA. He's definitely the most selfish player right now in the NBA. He's all about himself. Don't give me this bullshit he wants to win. He went to Brooklyn to team with Kevin Durant, and then they got James Harden in there. And those three couldn't coexist. And you're telling me he's all about winning? No, he's not. He's all about himself. Stop this. The rhetoric is driving me crazy. I'm just going to choose to forget the (laughs) the rhetoric right now on the Mavericks and what they said yesterday about Kyrie Irving. I'm just going to put it in the back of my head. And just be like, look, Kyrie, just play well, and hopefully the Mavericks do well the rest of the season. Because that's all I can really do. It's just it's too much, honestly. The Dallas Mavericks are competing with the Golden State Warriors because the Golden State Warriors haven't played well all year. They're two games above 500. they They're not doing all that great. And they have Steph Curry, who just got injured again on Saturday against the Mavericks. And as of right now, they say he's going to be out through at least up to the All-Star break, but their rumblings that he's going to be out longer are probably going to miss a month. And did you see what Steph Curry injury was? He suffered partial tears to his superior tibiofibular ligaments and enterososis membrane and a contusion to his lower left leg. Clearly, I don't know what the superior tibiofibular ligaments are. And the enterosoas membrane, I-N-T-E-R-O, 
S-S-E-O-U-S, enterosiosis membrane. Seos? Seos? I don't know. I'm pronouncing that wrong. Doctors, help me out here. What the hell is the enterosiosis membrane? (laughs) That doesn't sound good, whatever it is. (laughs) And... For a team that's only two games above 500, they're barely qualifying for the playoffs right now and going to be without Steph Curry for another month. They just got him back after he hurt his shoulder and he missed, I think, two to three weeks. Man, sucks for them because this is the team when they're all healthy that I don't care what the Denver Nuggets record is at the end of the year. I don't care what the Memphis Grizzlies record is at the end of the year. If the playoffs come around, and the Golden State Warriors have a healthy Steph, a healthy Clay, a healthy Draymond, a healthy Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, and they have that starting five 100% healthy and hitting on all cylinders, they're the team to beat in the West, not the Nuggets. The Nuggets haven't proven they can beat anybody and stop anybody defensively, either in the regular season or the playoffs. They're just outscoring teams in the regular season because they've got an unbelievable offense. But playoff basketball is so much different than regular season basketball. We all know that where you should know that by now, because when you play the same team over the span of two weeks, seven straight times, it's much easier to game plan for them than when you play them on a Tuesday in the middle of January, and then you don't play them again until the end of April, you know? And yeah, you're just going from team to team, game to game. But when you're playing the same team over and over in a seven-game series, yes, the team that has better scouting, uh, Better makes better adjustments is going to win. The Denver Nuggets have never proven anything in the NBA playoffs in recent years. And the Memphis Grizzlies, I don't know if they're there yet. I don't know if they can beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. Warriors beat them last year. But this has to be a healthy Warriors team to beat them. because, And the Warriors haven't been healthy all year. They cannot stay healthy. Steph comes back, he goes back down. Um, Andrew Wiggins missed 15 games with a groin injury or a hamstring injury. So we just have to wait. I mean, the season doesn't end until April, but only about 30 games left. They don't have a lot of time to get right. And if Steph's going to miss a month and they're only two games above 500 right now and sitting in like the seventh or eighth slot, uh, you, you got to get, if you're the Warriors, you got to get up to at least the sixth seed because you don't want to have to play Memphis and Denver in the first round, you know? So we'll, we'll see plenty of time, but this is, this is a, uh, this is a bad injury at a bad time for the Golden State Warriors because nobody wants to screw with their enterosoceous membrane. I know I don't. And finally, um, I talked about golf last week because I really enjoyed the fact that they are now going to interview golfers as they come off the tee, as they're walking to their next shot. I told you about they did that with Max Homa last week. Now did you see what they did this past weekend at Pebble Beach? They have a new technological thing that I think is really cool. And again, for a golf fan like me, it's almost like, and for a guy that does spoilers, it's almost like a spoiler. So what they did was they have something where they can track the ball the second it is in the air. And they did it on one of the par threes at Pebble Beach. When the ball is in the air, there is a graphic on the right side of the screen that shows the hole. And it basically, while the ball is still in the air, tells the viewer where it's going to land. And they did it three times on Sunday and all three times. It's exactly the area that the ball landed. So it's like a mini spoiler. It's giving away where the ball is going to land before it's going to, before it lands. And I think that's pretty cool. Like 
maybe there are people out there that's like, well, isn't that kind of the suspense of golf? Because once the ball is hit, you don't know where it's going to go until it lands. Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe there's an argument for that. Maybe I get in a big tournament and we hear a big tournament and we're watching a big tournament and they run this new technological feature out. And all of a sudden we're finding out, wow, this thing is pretty accurate. And we're finding out exactly where the ball is going to land before it hits. Because if you've watched golf in the past, especially in majors, on any big shot heading towards the green, if it lands two feet from the cup, that's when the crowd explodes. And the crowd's still going to explode because the crowd that's there in person isn't seeing this graphic. It's just us on TV. That's why I don't have a problem with it. But there are already people out there that's like, well, we don't want to be spoiled on the golf shots. We want to see where it lands. Okay. I mean, you're literally finding out two or three seconds earlier by watching it on TV with this new graphic. So we'll see how this plays out. We'll see. Only CBS is doing it right now. I don't know if this means NBC is going to do it when they have golf tournaments, but I think it is a really cool feature. And, you know, golf has to do something because, as we know, watching golf on TV is fairly boring. You got to do something to spice it up. Interviewing the players as they're walking to the ball, great. This shot tracker is even better tells you where it's going to land right now the shot tracker just tells you the flight of the ball this is basically one that's just used on par threes maybe it's going to be used when they're taking shots from the fairway heading into the green but yeah it tells you exactly where it's going to land and the three examples that i saw all were accurate so pretty cool anyway thank you all for listening i really appreciate it again please rate subscribe and review in apple podcasts it so much helps this podcast that we're trying to launch here and get more uh ears to listen to it and get as many downloads as possible and i thank you for listening and tuning in and people that have uh sent ratings in and sent reviews in i can't thank you enough so i appreciate you all listening thanks for tuning in and remember sports will always be the greatest reality show on television see you